In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and today I'm joined by my colleague, James Salzer, AJC's, wait for it, State House veteran. <laughs> He's here to talk about how everything we're seeing in this race has been seen before and done before. You <laughs> <laughs> never has it. Yeah. the truth. <laughs> this is sort of a grab bag on, on what's happening, um, you know, because... The race is sort of, uh, in some ways, is heating up. In some ways, they're just getting ready for the post-Labor Day fun when, um, when, when all sort of attention and focus and, and mobilization uh, sort of heats up again. Because we're in the dog days of summer. It's hot. School's August. back. Baseball season's still, what, 45 games away from the end of the year. And NFL hasn't started yet. More importantly, college football hasn't started yeah. yet. So. important stuff so yeah you know so we're sort of in this interesting phase where most of the time the candidates are spending time and energy raising money getting their staffing up they're hiring a lot more staffers they're getting field organizers testing messages testing messages and in Stacey Abrams case she also went up to New York to film an episode of Comedy Central so that probably got her another burst of national attention and probably some fundraising dollars and um, let's talk about that First off, okay. because um, Stacey Abrams has raised a remarkable amount of money um, from these small dollar out of state donors. Yeah, she's she is. Um, I, I had a reader uh, question a story I did because I, I mentioned I said she's setting records for num- for donors or contributions. I can't remember anyone in the 28 years I've been covering the governor's races. It's kind of close to the number of uh, small dollar donors that that Stacey Abrams has managed to. Um, Attract more than half of the donations have come from Georgia. But what's more extraordinary, I think, for this state is I, I want to say out of fifty states, forty-nine of them have had. Uh, she's gotten small money contributions from forty-nine states, um, and these are like three dollars, five dollars, ten dollars. Some people they've put on uh, payment plans um, because they didn't want to, like you know, fork out one hundred fifty bucks at a time. So they working out little bits, you know, $10 at a time. Greg and I talked to him, and uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, everybody's got a little bit of different reason mm-hmm. why they're, they're supporting her, but um, uh, it's an interesting, you know, it's a little bit different than we've had in uh, recent years. Yeah, I mean, in a little way, it's kind of like the John Ossoff race um, last year where he raised 90-plus percent of his money, and remember, it was a total of 30 million-ish dollars 
overall. So you made 90 plus percent of that from, from out of state. But that race was the only ball game in town right. th- at that time. So all the national attention was focused on this. In Stacey Abrams' case, in this in this contest, there's you know h- literally hundreds of other races all around the the, the nation that will be decided in November. Um, so the fact that she's been able to get such a um, you know such a big chunk of her money from out of state donors, she's been working really hard to raise her profile nationally by doing things like the Daily Show, by going on the late night TV circuit, by speaking at the Democratic National uh, Convention two years ago, and by working you know to to sort of cultivate a a, a, a network of donors from all over the country. Right, and it, it, and you know we're used to candidates and politicians sending us notes saying donate to my campaign, but the regularity of her emails is what's which is a little bit different i mean mm-hmm. if, if brian kemp throws a candy wrapper on the ground i'm getting a, you know within five minutes i'm getting a, a fundraising note saying brian kemp just threw a candy wrapper wrapper on the ground please uh help contribute to uh defeating brian kemp give me three dollars or give me five dollars or you know Stop it's, the it's, candy wrapper right right but it's it but it's like you know she's not asking hey give me uh, you know, six thousand dollars. I mean, that'll come from the Soroses and the big money people. Um, she she'll certainly get that, but um, she's asking for small amounts, or her campaign is asking for small amounts, and and uh, you know, it's it's you know, several times a week it seems like. Yeah, and as you mentioned, we we, we talked to a dozen or so of her small dollar donors from out of state. And some of them gave three bucks. Some of them gave five bucks. A lot of them gave eighteen dollars or twenty dollars and eighteen cents. The symbolism of the midterm election. Mm. Um, yeah, and they had different reasons, but they all were basically um, they all sort of boiled down to we saw Stacey Abrams either on social media, on TV, on on the news somehow on a podcast. A lot of them heard them on the po- heard her on the Pod Save America podcast. Um, New York and, Times, Washington Post, mm-hmm. I mean, all the newspapers, and that they wanted to do do their little part in um, it's you know to help her campaign and asked about you know look I mean the, the one of the most uh, frequent attacks of John Ossoff last year was that he was being funded by out of state donors and and so asking some of these donors what do you make of you be you guys becoming part of this campaign part of the attacks. They said it's not like Brian Kemp isn't getting out of state support. He's yeah. getting out of state support from Donald Trump and the and the Republican Governors Association, right. other out of state. All interests. the ads that have been run, I think, since the um, since the runoff, right, have been by uh, the Republican Governors Association or some group like that. None of which are in Georgia. They're all in Washington D.C. And the money, you know, that those groups raise, a uh, vast majority of it does not come from Georgia. So, um, and they're running ads right now. You know what? Three months out from the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've already run a series of two ads that we'll talk about in a minute. But but also I should add, too, the D- Democratic Party of Georgia is also running ads, pro-Stacey Abrams ads, and that is an in-state group. But, but. it's being <laughs> funded by out-of-state interests. A million dollars from uh, George Soros, uh, the biggest probably uh, single contribution by a, um individual um, – in Democratic Party history, they've gotten, a, I think they got a million from one time from a union and, mm-hmm. and maybe from another candidate. But uh, so uh, he's, uh, old George is all in on this. And Brian Kemp will, will, will also be getting some out-of-state donations. Hasn't really gotten too many yet, but I bet he in the will. next report yeah. he'll get more out-of-state donations. I don't think to the level that Stacey Abrams is getting, certainly not the small dollar yeah, level. Yeah, won't be a lot of $5. Yeah, there won't be a lot of $5. But um, I talked to him. A couple of days ago, and he said he's having absolutely no problems fundraising yeah, these no. days because of all the national attention on this race, because it's looked at as a, you know, because this race is looked at as a warm up to 2020, that national Republicans see this as a, as a, you know, as a stand, 
as, 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 as sort of a stand to make against all the, And he's getting all the Kegel money. And he's getting all the lobbyists and the statehouse folks that, not all, but all, a vast majority of them, I think, I, I have uh, suddenly found, uh, seen the light and uh, have decided that Brian Kemp is, is the guy they want to back after giving all the money to Kegel. A 40-point victory will do, will do yeah, that do for that. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about this, these sort of – these ads. I mean we're seeing – we all expected this. Um, it was somewhat – it never really became a line in the primary, um, the Democratic primary. Stacey Evans never actually forcefully attacked Stacey Abrams for owing um, – owing $54,000 in back taxes to the IRS at the same time that she's donating 50, loaning her own campaign $50,000. But we all kind of knew that in the November argument, that would be one of the Republican attacks on Stacey Abrams. And that's exactly what came out um, this past week where we had, not only did we have an RJ ad highlighting the fact that she owes back taxes to the IRS, but also loaned herself, uh, loaned her campaign about the same amount of money. But we also had Brian Kemp questioning um, the legality of it, saying essentially if that's not illegal, it should be. And, and that's that's prompted a really uh, sort of harsh response all, all across the Georgia political map, hasn't it? Yeah, because it's not. <laughs> it's not It's not illegal. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, we, we knew, look, we knew two and a half seconds after we saw the fact that she owed the IRS money um, and had these debts that, the, that her opponents were going to run ads on it. Um, I guess the only surprise would might have be that they w- that they did it this early. I might have done that, you know, if I, if I was strategist. I mean, I mean, you know, it's been talked about, but I might have waited until closer to the election because. Um, but they're gonna, yeah, she's gonna get pounded over that. There's no doubt about it. Um, but this idea that it's, um, you know, that it's somehow illegal is um, interesting. Yeah, and I think the reason maybe I'm just speculating here, but maybe one of the reasons they didn't wait is. Both sides feel like they have so much ammunition That's true. because this race is so polarizing. They they are such polar opposites. They do have so many different, you know, ways to energize their supporters by highlighting their opponents' issues, stance on abortion or guns or whatever the the divisive issue might be. So I think we're going to see a lot of different arguments. But I do think that the underlying one throughout this race will will end up, if at least the Republican argument, will end up sort of revolving around taxes. And what's interesting to me too is, and this is not new, and this this is. This happened in the primary phase as well, but how Stacey Abrams um, is not ducking it, but but actually embracing the fact um, that she owes right. th- these back taxes. Well, look, we, we some of the people we talked to, donors from out of state, said um, one of the things they attra- that attracted them uh, or tra- attracted her to them was um, the fact that she what her story is real is is similar to some of their. Either their own stories or stories of uh, family members who have also been in debt and who also have, um, you know, had to to sacrifice to care for you know, sick parents, which is, I think, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things she's talked about. Um, so, you know, that had some people that the fact that she has owes this debt and particularly hasn't paid the or owes the IRS uh, money is a huge detriment and you know we're not going to trust somebody with the what 26 billion dollar state budget if they you know have all these debts and then there's uh you know another group of people who look at it and say well that's me or that's my neighbor or that's uh you know my kids so um I mean, it's it can be interesting how that plays out. Yeah, and that's the argument Abrams is trying to make. She she deferred these tax payments in 2015 and 2016. Um, to help pay her family's medical expenses, and she says she's on a payment plan to pay them back. Um, 
At the same time, she says, I can defer, I can defer taxes. I can't defer my family's health is, is her argument. And she's saying that it helps connect, connect her to everyday voters who have the same problems. At the same time, she's also trying to remind folks – her campaign. She hasn't said this herself, but her campaign is saying essentially, um, who is this guy to throw, throw rocks if he is facing a, a, a lawsuit right now from an investor um, who, uh, who loaned his company $500,000 – um, and this is a guy named Steve Phillips. He came up in the in the Republican primary. He was a Casey Cagle supporter who loaned Brian Kemp's Brian, a business Brian Kemp was a a partner in a uh, a, a principal um, five hundred thousand dollars and has not yet been repaid that full sum. And that lawsuit is continuing to go on. Say, he's got court battles going on at the same time he's running for governor. Unfortunately for yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm. It's a side note. I'm surprised this hasn't all been settled quite yet. But there was a, supposed to be a court date the day after the. Uh, Brian Kemp's runoff victory, that got continued until later on this month. So we'll be following yeah. that for you. Um, we should say that uh, it's not just Republicans um, uh, attacking Stacey Abrams. Um, her allies are attacking back. And a couple of days ago, they mounted this full-fledged campaign to call on Brian Kemp to resign as Secretary of State, um, which got a lot of uh, attention. It got some national attention as well. Yeah. And it's it's similar to the um, Stacey Abrams may be breaking the law um, argument on the Republican side. The Democrats came out and said, well, he's earning I think, 130 grand a year, essentially, as Secretary of State and Secretary of State uh, oversees elections. Therefore, he has a conflict of interest. And by the way, he's running for governor. So he's not, you know, their argument is he's not doing his job anyways. Um, so he should resign. Um, of course, uh, a, that's not going to happen. But uh, B, um, Republicans quickly responded, you know, if you resigned, if everybody resigned um, when they're running for office under the guise that they're not um, doing their job and or have a conflict of interest, uh, you know, you'd be filling jobs left and right uh, all year long. And in this case, the likelihood is that the governor being a Republican would – uh, replace Brian Kemp temporarily with the Republican nominee for Secretary of State, thereby giving that candidate a boost uh, as the incumbent uh, running in November. Yeah, so, uh, it'd be, it'd you know. Brad Raffensperger's dream come true of that Right, right, right. He'd probably pay him to do that. Yeah. So they, they but, you know, his, the, the folk calling for the for, for Kemp to step aside, uh, kept on setting precedent um, in that uh, Max Cleland, when he was Secretary of State, he resigned before he ran for um, for U.S. Senate seat, which he ended up winning. And Karen Handel, who was Secretary of State, resigned, um, actually leading to Brian Kemp's uh, yeah, yeah. appointment, but resigned to run for to run an unsuccessful campaign for governor in 2010. Um, now, Handel uh, wouldn't comment. Max Leland said that you know it's no brainer; you have to resign because. Um, you, you don't want to look like there's a conflict of interest. But then his successors did not. But yeah, Louis two, Massey and, and Kathy Cox, who both ran for governor, did not. Exactly. So two other Democrats who also had that position, who also ran for governor, didn't do that. Now, Louis Massey, um, he didn't comment. Um, but we did talk to Kathy Cox, who said sort of there's a third way. Now, Kathy, Kathy Cox lost her, her 2006 primary to then-Lieutenant Governor Mark Taylor. Um, she said that she was thinking about – Resigning never really got to that stance if she had won, but since she didn't win, she never had to make that decision. But she she did say she took a third way, which was she appointed essentially assistant, like a deputy, 
just handled the day-to-day operations in the Secretary of State's office um, So while she was focusing on her campaigning, which is in all likelihood, we don't have this officially from Brian Kemp's campaign, but given that he's on the campaign trail all the time, in all likelihood, that's exactly what he's doing. He has some some deputies and aides who are handling a lot of the, the go-to stuff. Right. His executive counsel, Ryan Germany, there's some other folks in that office who are probably handling a little bit more of the duties um, now that now that Brian Kemp is out and about every day. But the reality is that we, you know, we had both of those happen this week, right? As you said, there's so much stuff in this race, and there's so much at stake, and there's so many outside groups that are going to be funding these races. Um, that we're going to be seeing stuff like this every week. There's not going to be weeks um, where it's slow. Um, you know, it's almost like they want, you know, it's almost like they want to make sure the media is busy for the next you know, <laughs> 80 days or whatever it is. Yeah, I guess I said earlier that this is something of a, of a slower week because of back to school and the dog days of summer and all that. But you're yeah, you're right. Quote marks. With yeah, slower I put quotes in slow um, because uh, it isn't. And, but I, but it's going to get even crazy. I mean, think yeah. about the visits we're going to have, and the and the and the debates, and the Trump, Obama, all that fun stuff. Uh, you know, Clinton's probably uh, uh, what's his name, Pence. You know, the whole crew is going to yeah. be down here. And, um, and and one more big issue on that that, that happened over the last couple of days is another another policy clash. We, we've already we've already kind of shaped the contours of the race, which is essentially this. Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp disagree about 95% of every major issue. Um, but one other new, kind of new twist in that came up um, over the past couple of days, and that is uh, over the debate about whether or not to give people, students who are in the country illegally, like uh, uh, I don't know. We call whose them, parents brought them in? Whose parents brought them and when in? They were, when they were children and who are in the country illegally. Yes. Whether they should be qualified to get the Hope Scholarship. And uh, that is another sort of um, turning uh, uh, clash in this race. Uh, at, at a town hall meeting the other day, Stacey Abrams talked about her support for that policy. And um, she had a press conference on education. And uh, reporters got her to sort of um, hone it out a little more. She essentially said that the Constitution requires that states educate students, period, regardless of, of, of where they come from or who they are. And that's what, that's what she believes. And that if Texas and other conservative states can have programs that allow people, students who are in the country illegally to get scholarships and get, and get higher education, then Georgia should too. She says this is such a small number of students who would be qualified for a HOPE scholarship and that it's not going to bankrupt the lottery-funded program. Brian Kemp says the exact opposite, right. that this is exactly what could – uh, herald the doom of, of, of Georgia's Hope Scholarship because it would allow um, a you know, significant number of students in um, it's eligible for the program. And uh, we don't have a number on that yet. Um, we've had different schools um, sort of grapple with that debate, and we've had the regions also well, I was just grapple say, with that. This, this, this is like a step beyond – this is like the second step in this if you were making this argument because the first step would be you, you would have to get the university system to say that um, dreamers can pay in-state tuition because I think they pay out of – I think you have to pay out-of-state tuition if I'm not you – know, and that's been really the debate is you'd have – you've had students coming in protesting for a region saying – um, you know, I was two years old when when my parents came to this country, and you know, I've lived my whole life here, and uh, I want to go to. And I've I've always been in Georgia, and I want to go to. I want to get a, the same, you know, benefits mm-hmm. as any other high school graduate in Georgia. 
Um, then you then you you're kind of layering hope on there. There's there's many arguments about the expansion of hope, but I, I yeah I, I, the numbers that I've seen on it I question whether this and this would obviously be an extra cost. I don't know that it would really um, you know damage the program dramatically. On the other hand, you have uh, Brian Kemp who wants to um, drive around in a pickup truck and 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 and. Uh, uh, collect people who are in the country illegally and uh, drive them to the border. So, I mean, it's it's obviously not an education argument. It, this isn't about hope scholarship. This is about illegal immigration. And uh, I mean, in his and on his mm-hmm. on his standpoint. And sticking to the hope scholarship theme too, and that dovetails to yet another sharp divide between these two candidates, and that's over the the hope scholarship's future. Um, uh, Stacey Abrams made it a, a major point in the primary campaign and, will, and has continued that, saying that there needs to be a HOPE 2.0. HOPE scholarship right now is a merit-based scholarship. If you have a B average and you maintain that B average um, through college, you get you, you get the HOPE awards. Um, it used to be full in-state tuition. It's not that anymore. I was a HOPE recipient. She thinks there should be a HOPE 2.0, which is a, a it adds a needs-based component for, right. for students. Which is what it used to be. I mean, when I when – I'm old enough to have covered the original uh, um, bills that passed the um, creating the lottery and, and hope, and it was originally for, um, if I remember correctly, the family income had to be sixty six thousand dollars a year or less, or maybe it was hundred. I forget what it was, but anyways, they expanded it for a few years. But essentially, initially, it was for um, the thought was for students who had trouble affording college. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like that for several years until they had so much money that, uh, they couldn't spend it fast enough and they expanded it to everybody. And then us in high school, we'd always hear these stories of the, of students who got hope trips or hope cars, you know, uh, more affluent students who, uh, UGA who went to UGA, but whose parents said, okay, I saved up all this money for college. Instead, I'm going to give it to you for this trip to Europe and uh, your fancy new car. So you have those stories. You had that too, didn't you? Yeah, right. <laughs> Yours was a Porsche, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you can read that column that I read about uh, getting the Hope Scholarship, but my mom was a, a single a school teacher. Um, so I took out some, I had to take out some loans on, in addition to Hope. Um, but side, that, that, that being aside, um, there is a debate about how to keep the Hope Scholarship Lottery Program financially sustainable. Right. And um, Stacey Abrams says that she is open to some sort of legalized gambling. We're not sure exactly the extent of that, some sort of casino project, uh, as long as it funds this Hope 2.0. Brian Kemp, he says no way, no how. He is yeah. against any sort of legalization of gambling. And actually him and all four other Republican candidates for governor were all on the same page on that one. Right. I saw Ron Stevens this week. He's the, the – uh, um, the godfather of the casino movement in um, um, pun intended in Georgia. And uh, he, he already has a proposal ready to go. He's had proposals in the past. He's got a new proposal this time. Um, again, it involves, you know, funding money for hope. I think it was what three casinos he wants to do. And he just had a big smile on his face when I asked him about it. And he said, I guess I'm throwing him a hot potato. Um, but um yeah, it's a big, it's it's a you know, it's an important question if you're interested in that issue. Um, that you have a as as we as you just said, ninety six percent over ninety five percent of their issues they disagree on. Um, and he's he's like he's there like every other Republican candidate um, that ran this year. He's against you know gambling. Yeah, and Ron Stevens is a Republican, and he's not some backbencher. He's the chair of the House Economic Development Committee, um, and his proposal essentially calls for at least three billion dollars. In funding um, 
uh, from from some sort of you know casino company. So essentially, it says that if if a casino company like MGM wants to come in, it has to invest three billion dollars, has to create at least ten thousand jobs, which is a huge number yeah. of jobs. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be three different casinos. One would uh, one would be in Metro Atlanta for a billion plus, and it looks like it would be either downtown Atlanta or near the airport. And the other two probably all one, would be in one Savannah. One would definitely be in Savannah because Ron's from Savannah. From there. And the <laughs> other one could be in we, – we've heard different things. Somewhere closer to the Georgia-Florida line, somewhere closer to the Alabama line, somewhere in North Georgia. Wherever it might be, uh, it's all still pie in the sky right now because uh, this gov- gubernatorial election will help dictate where it goes. Ron has had you know some Republican support, but he's always been sort of um, hamstrung because Governor Nathan Deal has been a staunch opponent of it. Um, the farthest Governor Deal said he would go is if if it passes in the legislature, he wouldn't veto yeah, legislation that would would help implement it. He would instead kind of let it sit on the table and become law without his signature. Um, so that was about the biggest blessing. Which is tacit. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, if you actually pass it, yeah, then you know he'll let it go through. Yeah. The next round, though, I mean, with 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 both Abrams and Kemp being on opposite pages, um, I can't imagine that the MGM folks or the casino lobbyists would be too ex- excited about a Brian Kemp gubernat- governorship. Um, so expect them to start uh, chiming in on this race, I bet, in terms of campaign donations. Oh, so they're going to start giving to Stacey Abrams, you think? One more thing to watch. <laughs> one, one more of the many, many things we're watching. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.